Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good evening. We are recording. This is our last class time for uh, of faith for everyone. And what I have done is created for you a... PowerPoint, just a front and a back of what I would consider are some of the more important theological points that we have covered. And then I have created a, an assessment document for you that I'd like to talk to you about. Um, I don't want you to freak out. I am a, a professor at heart. So what I did was I took the important points that we have covered through the entire class and I put them on a Likert scale, a 1 to 5, where you could go through um, this uh, sense of discipleship and rate yourself as to how you think that you're doing right now. It's just really a snapshot. I don't want to see this. Um, It's just for you to take a look at it and then for you to build a discipleship plan off of what you're doing well and what you'd like to do a better job at. So I want to explain that to you as we get going uh, this evening so that you've got something that you can do that will move you forward so that you can celebrate what, what is going well and you can look at some areas and say, I'd really like to do a better job at that. Um, Because I would imagine that all of us are not doing all of these things equally well all of the time. I know I am not. Because I get focused on one thing and then sometimes... an element of my discipleship kind of gets put on the back burner. It doesn't like ever go away as though it's unimportant. It's just that I can leave it on the back burner simply because something else is taking up my time. And what happens then is I can get lopsided. And that's really what I want for you to see is for you to have kind of a robust spiritual thriving and um, just have you take a look at um, how you're doing. And if you do this again, it might actually be a little different if you do it in three more months. It's just a, hey, how am I doing with all of that? Uh, if you'd like... I'd be more than happy to send you all of the handouts and the material. Uh, If you want that, that would be really great. I know that I have all of you in here. So do you guys, would you like that? Because I can just have somebody make me a big email thing and I can just attach stuff to you. Yes, yes. If you don't, you don't have to keep it. Uh, Yeah, digitally. Digital copies, so yes, I'll just send it. I'll just have somebody put it together. Thank you very much. I'll just, I'll just put it all together, and you can just keep it or not keep it. And that's really great. It won't hurt my feelings because we were just discussing. I'm 83% red, and I have one feeling, and it's like fine right now. So, and your behavior does not affect my fineness. So that's really great. That's really good. So let's pray, and then I want to walk you through some of these high points and tell you why I selected them. Lord, thank you so much for this time and this class. I want to thank you that we can enjoy, uh, study your word, enjoy each other, uh, be a family, and have this be an opportunity for us to really grow in our faith. Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this study, we pray that you will help us to be focused on where do we go from here individually? Where do we go from here maritally? Where do we go from here uh, with a group of people that we might be uh, in an accountable relationship with? That you could help for us to move forward uh, in our spiritual relationship with you by continuing to grow no matter where we are uh, in our own assessment. 
Bless us tonight, Lord, with just a delight and an enjoyment of completing a class and just having a sense about um, our own personal well-being. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, just a quick review on where we are. Uh, I really believe that being theologically grounded is healthy for us because over time we can forget theological points. At least I can. And then again, you just kind of run with with whatever is in front of you. So I selected for you three big theological points that have been helpful for me as I'm working through the culture. And so I put those up here. The accompanied life, the designed life, and the rhythmic life. Again, if you're frustrated about your spiritual growth, if you're not sure what you want to do, you go back to core elements and then you expand those out. So the idea of the accompanied life is you are never alone. Um, You don't have to go through life by yourself. You have the resources of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in your life, which means that if you feel cut off, you feel isolated, there's a block between you and God. That's what that means. That block may just be because there's some kind of spiritual obstacle that's there. I do believe that sometimes we can be convinced that God has moved away and is farther away. I think sometimes we just go through periods where it's just harder to connect with God. And you just want to be aware that even if you go through one of those periods, God has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I am always with you. And this is where we walk by faith and not by sight. And eventually we're going to walk by sight, but not by faith. And so if you're in one of those periods, you need to connect with another person who will help to encourage you, especially if you feel disconnected spiritually. Um, There's just kind of a, a movement of that within our lives. And so God is with you. And then there are times that you always feel that. Uh, And you might feel closer uh, at other times, but it's really important for you to know that you are connected. You have your Father's ear. That's what I want for you to know. You have His ear. You have His attention. You ask for it, you've got it. Most of the time, we don't, as much as maybe what we could. So the accompanied life is that the Holy Spirit is always with you. The second one on the designed life is I've put these three great truths. And what I do is I go back and I ask myself, we spent time on this, how am I doing on these three great truths? Because there's so much that we can do. And I don't know about you, but there are times that we can feel guilty we're not doing enough. We can feel guilty that um, the blend might not be the right, right blend for our lives. Um, if work gets really busy, if you've got a family, your kids get really, really busy, if you're dealing with something in your extended family or maritally that's just taking a lot of time, even like Vanna's accident, um, there are just a lot of things I did not do during that time period that I normally would do. And I refused to feel guilty because I had this great big need that was there. But I remember just saying to myself, I'm not going to feel bad that I'm doing less. Do you ever have that in your own mind is, okay, I'm going through this time period. It's not that I want to do less um, and that I am disinterested. It's that I have this other element that's happening in my life. So I asked myself, how am I doing loving God and loving people? And if I condense, I'm still loving God and I'm still loving the people that I'm around. So how am I doing loving the people that are helping us out? How am I doing loving the medical community that is going the extra mile with my wife? How am I doing loving people that I might see around town who are talking and engaging with me? How am I doing loving my own family? Um, how am I doing with all of that? And so I just began to ask myself, am I making the most of this smaller Peter Buckland? The second one then is um, the Great Commission. Am I going and am I making disciples? Well, that was really 
made small during that time period. It wasn't that I didn't want to be involved with people. It's I didn't have the energy to be involved with people. So my question that I ask myself is, how am I mastering the moments that I have right now? How am I witnessing to the people that I am interacting with? How am I... um, helping to create discipleship with people as they engage me in this time where I feel like I've kind of shrunk a little bit. And so I just started to ask myself, what am I doing now to the best of my ability? And am I really, um, am I really being a good steward of what I can actually do right now? So one of my greatest gifts I think that I can help people, especially when they have a new baby, is give them permission to be a parent and to go through the zombie years and be frustrated and tired and pray for them and let them know that they just can't do whatever they maybe had wanted to do or used to do. Somebody has a chronic illness. is to give them permission to cut back on something. It doesn't mean that um, you're doing anything wrong. It just simply means we have to live within the limitations that we have or else we wear ourselves out. So I just started to ask myself, how am I doing with that? And then the last one is uh, the Ministry of Reconciliation. How am I doing helping people to be close to God and how am I doing forgiving people? How is all of that going during this time in particular? And can I be a joyful person in the midst of a tribulation moment where there's a big trial that's going on and we don't know what the outcome is? Is there a way that God's Spirit can be inside of me because I am going to be a joyful person? So this is what I think about with this last one that I want to give to you. There is a sense in which you need to be a two-year-old spiritually. I don't mean by maturity, by your age, but I mean by trust. Trust and joy. A two-year-old who knows that his or her mom and dad, grandparents, care providers, love him or her, is a happy little kid. Man, they ask for all kinds of things. They dance and leap and they just have a great time. And my thought was, can I be like a two-year-old in the middle of this accident? Is there a way that I can dance and leap and have joy? That God is with me. That my Heavenly Father is is blessing us. That God is coming alongside of us and journeying with us so that I don't get down in the depths by my situation. Because we can let our situation control us if we don't watch out. Because we do all face really big situations at times. It's not that I want to deny that. It's just that I don't want to be robbed. I don't want to be robbed. So I can laugh and cry. But on the inside, I'm just recounting the blessings and recounting what I can actually do. And my second thing is, how do I talk about people? I just want to ask you that. How do you talk about people? Sometimes we bless people by not saying uh, something bad about them when they have hurt us. And we're working on it. So we're not like broadcasting it. And then there are times that we can actually sit down with people and we can maybe repair relationships. So how are you doing? Um, with the Ministry of Reconciliation. So I looked at those three things, and here's what I thought. If I could just do these three things, I know I'm right in the heart of God. Really busy at work, feel really stressed out with something, I want to suggest to you that you condense back to these three things. The most important command, Jesus' ministry on the earth. The Great Commission is an extension of His ministry. And then God's heart. That's how I look at this. The greatest command the extension of Jesus' ministry, and God's heart. And if you will live those out, God's going to bless you and give you opportunities, even if you feel like you're having to condense your life in some way. Uh, the rhythmic life, then, is all about um, how, how we have an ebb and a flow within our life. Because there are times that we have explosive growth, and there are times that we have rest. So if you remember um, the whole bamboo tree, uh, the, the Chinese bamboo tree that shows no growth, 
for six years and in the seventh year, it just jumps up to 90 feet. Uh, just an amazing analogy that God is working at us, uh, in us, and as we go through these spiritual disciplines, you may not see the kind of results that you want immediately. Now, I just want to encourage you with that, and if you're frustrated with that, talk to somebody about that, and just keep asking for God to produce that growth, and at the right time, to have Him show His work and His handiwork within your life, because we can get really discouraged with our expectations. And I would hate for you to have expectations that don't meet the reality of what God is doing. So I think sometimes God is taking his time for two reasons. The first is that he needs you to lean on him and trust him because of where he's taking you. And so you serve him and you trust him even when he doesn't meet all of your expectations. And the second one is that some things change very, very, very slowly so that they can change permanently. God can always accelerate it, but we know that there are some issues in our lives that just are stubborn. And what I've looked at is, God, keep working on that because I can see progress over time, which is really important. So, you know, trusting Him and and regular progress. Uh, Productivity and rest, rest, Sabbath. I really want to encourage you to practice Sabbath, to go back and learn how to slow down. Some way, somehow, slow down with your family, slow down your marriage, slow down somewhere so that you're not rushing all the time. That you have a meal that you actually chew really, really well instead of inhale it. And then you talk about it. You just take your time. You put down all of your um, distractions, your electronic gadgetry, uh, any television, any media, and you pick up relationships. You just learn the fine art of walking through life. And then you, you begin to bookend your life to spend some time with the Lord. Silence and solitude and interacting with people, that was the Lectio, is to really have a word-centered life. That the Lectio Divina is something you can use at any time that you want to. You can use it in the waiting room. Uh, You can actually listen to scripture while you're driving and you can kind of think through some things as long as that's not overly distracting for you. Um, You can share ideas with another person. So you could actually do a Lectio with somebody who you're not with. And you could both do it during the day. And if you called each other, you could... Talk about it that night. You could actually do it over the phone. You could do it over FaceTime. You could do it over the internet. Um, you, you, don't have, you don't have to be alone, I guess. And so there might be somebody that you can do that with. And then the last one is receiving and giving. You and I sometimes have a really hard time being open and honest about what we need. And it's hard for us to, to receive. And so what I want to suggest to you is that you learn how to talk about yourself in such a way that you can say to somebody, I'd really like it for you to pray for me about this. And then please ask me about it. And if they don't ask you about it, then give them an update. Like in two weeks, say, hey, I just want to let you know how this is going. Rather than think, you don't care because you didn't ask me. People have a hard time changing their behavior. Have you noticed that about yourself? (laughs) I mean, how many times have you said, I'll pray for you, and then you don't? So I basically pray for people immediately. Sometimes I'll just stop and I'll pray for them in the hallway or I'll just say a silent prayer for them because I know that I will get distracted. Sometimes I actually write myself a note in my email and email me a a statement that says, pray for so-and-so. And I'll do it while I'm talking to them and say, I'm going to email myself so that I don't forget. Because oftentimes people will tell me while I'm on the way somewhere else. And I'm a man. And I have this little thing called a faulty memory system. Because I get going and then it just sort of drops. And I don't want, I don't want it to drop. I want, I want to kind of stay engaged with that. So um, teach people how to interact with you. 
is really, really important. So my closest friends, um, we have this opportunity to just ask each other how we're doing. Uh, we, we take time to give kind of a report. We call it the dashboard report, you know, just the overview, and then we can go down deeper in certain areas. You need to have something like that on the giving and receiving. Um, these are the rhythms of spiritual life. I found some icons, and I just kind of stuck them up there. So um, I don't know if I ever want to use those again. I like some of them. I'd like to get some of my own, but I put those on there. These are what we have been studying. And what I want to suggest to you is that you do an evaluation on how you're doing with these seven rhythms. These seven rhythms are core rhythms. So you've got um, your daily devotions, which are, is creating sacred time and space. This is a sacred moment that you spend with God. And I don't want you to think of it as, well, I've got to have my daily quiet time or my daily devotions. And then once I have it, I just check it off. This is, really, this is about you really interacting with God in a moment that's meaningful to you. Uh, then, you, of course, we've got prayer. Our celebration is worship, both personal worship joyful worship as well as corporate worship uh, service finding something that you can do throughout the week to help somebody else out in fact I want to suggest to you that um, this just really helps you to be more forward-looking and get out of yourself a little bit uh, then you have sacrificial generosity and we often talk about money with this but what I want you to know is is that you cannot outgive God and so some of the best ways that you can serve is a listening ear um, practicing presence with people um, maybe helping them with a task, um, joining them to accomplish something so they don't have to do it by themselves. Um, right now, we're having um, our ceilings done at our house, and they're going to be all sprayed tomorrow. They're supposed to be sprayed today, but everything didn't get quite dry for the sanding, you know, the fine dust that goes everywhere. But we had to move all of our furniture into one room and the, um, the garage. And so one of my buddies, I was just kind of talking about it, and he said, I'll come over and help you move the big stuff. And I said, that would be really, really nice. He's out of town this week, and he said, I want to come this weekend and help you to put that back. And I went, that would be really great. Thank you. That's sacrificial generosity. Somebody who sees a need and then says, I want to be the person that helps you with that need. That's what I want you to think about. He, he would take no for an answer. But it would be really odd because I wouldn't have anybody help me. <laughs> and he knows that. Yeah, but I wouldn't have asked him because he's really busy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm like, I know you're really busy and I don't want to get in the way. And he said, I would like to help you with that. And I said, well, it took us about 30 minutes to figure out a time period when he could come by and help me. We're both that busy. And so he did. He, he organized part of his day so that he would be in my neighborhood to stop by. And for like 30 minutes, he helped me move the last of the big pieces. It was really easy with another person. I couldn't have done it by myself. I would have had to start calling up people. And he just offered that sacrificial generosity. You're offering to help with something that you see. So you've got to have friends that will speak their needs. And you speak their needs. And then you just kind of meet them. And so I want you to see that that's a, a much bigger element than just money. Although our money is a part of that generosity. And then you have accountability where you're living honestly with somebody else and then sharing your spiritual story is the last one. All of these flow together for the fruit of the Spirit. So let me just tell you this also and I've used this for a number of years particularly with my children. These nine qualities of spiritual maturity are so important that Paul wrote them out and um, in a list in the New Testament the first and the last items are the most important. 
because they didn't prioritize them the way that we do. I mean, I would say, and this is the first thing that you need to do. And this is the second thing that you or this is the first. They, they normally don't do that. But what um, theologians have discovered by lists is that the first and the last are the bookends. And you know, love is the first one, and self-control is the, is the last one. And then everything else is an expression of love and self-control. So what I would say to you is this. If you're looking for a quality or a characteristic to grow in, then go back through the notes and take a look at how um, these areas can really exhibit a Christ-like spirit. And you can pick one of these to work on, knowing that everything in the middle exhibits the love of God and the love toward people and your own self-control so that you could actually have a measured response rather than out-of-control response. So living the fruit of the Spirit is a really nice way to um, have a shorthand growth. I'm not going to talk to you a lot about this model of discipleship right here, but this was what we spent three weeks on, just kind of walking through this. So you have a lot of great information on this uh, for you to take a look at. And what I would say is that if you're really looking for a way to kind of organize your life, this will really help you to think through that. So as you're teaching your children, what does it really mean for you to be a disciple who's 15 years old? Why am I parenting you a certain way at age 8? At age nine, you've got children that are coming to church and they say, oh, well, I want to be a Christian. And you can say, well, let me talk to you a little bit about some things about being a Christian. Well, you've got the Bible. You've got God's going to meet your human needs. You've got the way you think. You've got the way you feel. You've got relationships. You've got God's growth. And you've got the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty simple way to say our family wants to have all of those things lived out. In my family, we practice open doors. You can invite any of your kids and any of your friends to our house. Please let us know if you've done that. (laughs) They can come to our meals. They can come and spend some time with us. If you have any of your friends that are in trouble or they're depressed or they're struggling with something, please let us know because we want to have the kind of a family where the door is open and they can come in. Human need. And when they come in, they're coming into a biblically grounded family. And what we found was they didn't want to leave. Because that biblically grounded family had the fruit of the Spirit, low-hanging fruit. They experienced peace. They saw a joyful family. They saw a family that was kind to each other. They saw a family that um, wasn't, what was self-controlled. I mean, it just, people liked being with us. In fact, one of Audrey's friends said, you are the only family that I know that actually practices your faith. And he grew up in a church and and was active in a church. And I was just flabbergasted. But that's what we did, just so you know. Using this kind of a model, we looked at those needs, we went right over to Scripture, and we said, well, what is it? What are the characteristics and the qualities? So if you look at my life, you would would do me a service to say, I see some of these things in your life. Because I don't always see them. And when you look at each other's lives, you're going, well, how am I doing with the fruit of the Spirit? Am I meeting needs? And do you see me as a biblically-based life? And then it's, how am I thinking? How am I feeling? How am I relating? So are my feelings kind of in check, or do I just run with them? Do I have good biblical thinking, critically-minded, loving God? And how am I doing relating to people? And God will produce the growth underneath the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. So just give that to you, especially if you're talking to somebody about what does it mean to really be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, This next one was really um, important to me, and so I just included it. We've talked about this before. This is the Barna research about um, how we can kind of conceptualize our own faith. And what I want you to do is peg yourself somewhere on this and just kind of know where you are. 
we move around on it, but I want you to see this as being more normal. As we talked about this, starting um, on number five, increased religious activity is kind of where we end up by default. So as a Christian person, as you're moving through your experience, if you feel empty or you feel... Um, disconnected or you feel like you've stalled the general practice is do more of the things you're stalled with have more Bible study have more prayer go to church more and what I want to say to you is that you probably need something different than that um, so that you can be revitalized because if that would work it would already show up in your life so, I didn't tell you this earlier, but one of the things that is the saddest for me are people in their 50s, my decade. People in their 50s are sitting on church pews more than they are serving because many people have said, I've already tried it and it's not working for me, but I don't want to give up on the church. But I don't have a vital faith and I don't really feel like I'm growing all that much and I'm not in leadership or I've done some things and I don't want to do it anymore. What's happened is, is they've settled on number five. That, that's, that's all that that is. Increased religious activity. Because you notice what comes after that is disillusionment. Disillusionment. Sometimes, you know how churches are. I, I don't want to throw stones or poke, but you know how churches can be. Because we're made up of people. I'll ask myself, is this really what God intended? Is this really what God wants his people to behave like? Is this really a great representation? Do you ever get discouraged sometimes about how much Christian people struggle in the world around us? That's kind of that disillusionment. And I look at that and I go, well, I want to move through that. And I want to be a person that is able to live with disillusioned people and show them that God really loves and cares about them. And so there are times that I just look at it and go, what can I do to work through my own sense of burdenedness in the world? So when you feel burdened, I want to suggest that you might have that disillusionment and brokenness. And you have to feel it. I want you to cry. I want you to be angry. I want you to be frustrated. I want you to feel disconnected. I want you to long for something better than pretend that that doesn't happen. Because if you pretend that everything is okay, what you're doing with all that is you're stuffing it. And you're pretending that it's not there. Now, I'm not saying sit in it. But what I'm saying is just recognize God will will break your heart over certain people who don't know him. He'll do that. And you'll have that sense of brokenness, that 3%. And then you have this sense of healing and renewal in your own life. Is Well, what am I going to do to move through that so that I have this sense of closeness and I can be with broken people and I can weep with those who weep and I can laugh with those who laugh and I can have this sense that I live in a broken world where I don't even function the right way all the time. <coughs> One of the things that I think about in my own work with the black box boys who are rescued from sex trafficking down in the the Dominican Republic is um, because I know their stories, it just, it gets my justice gene going, if you know what I mean. I want to go out and make it right. I do. But I also know that God is going to make them right. And that healing that I have experienced in being made right, you know, going through my own brokenness, my own disillusionment, which I hope this will be a part of your story. If it's not, you move through your own disappointment in your own self to find that God is constantly healing you. That's what those boys need to know. Whether their perpetrators go behind bars or not, those boys need to experience healing. Is God strong enough to heal him? Yes. Yes, he is. How are they going to believe it? 
by seeing other people who have been healed. Other people who have been disillusioned. Other people that have gone through brokenness. This is a part of your testimony. This is why we don't hide it. You don't don't have to talk about all of it or exactly what it is. But what you have to do is go through this process so when you see somebody else going through it, you can say, hang in there because on the other side, there is healing. On the other side, there is growth. And together, I'm going to help you to do that. What's really important is you can bring people through that. And then you have a love for God and a love for people. Uh, Again, only 1 in 10 people go on from the um, plateau of number 5 of increased religious activity. So if you know somebody who says, I've tried church and it didn't work for me, then what you can do is maybe talk to them about doing the Lectio with them or something. Well, let's just, can we have a spiritual conversation just right here? You don't have to come to church, but obviously, you know, you have a sense about God in your life. Would Would you be willing to just kind of have this experience with me? And, and be bold to say, would you, would you want to have a spiritual conversation? Uh, notice that the, the disillusionment, I just have to say this, hits between 15 and 31 years after you become a Christian. Um, because sometimes we just end up on autopilot and we have a system going. And then something happens and we lose touch of what's, what's actually going on. So the spiritual growth is important for you to just be aware about what's going on. Um, specific steps that are reported from stalled to growth. I like this. And so you've got on your um, sheets this um, sense about evaluating these things. So I would just say, if you ever feel stalled, or you're working with somebody who says, church really isn't for me, I don't get anything out of church, I don't, I don't really connect with church, those kinds of things, that's stalled. And so you're looking at a list now of things that research has said is really important. So you've got your own personal spiritual practices, which I want you to know are better served together than alone. So if you have somebody who's stalled and you say, well, you need to read your Bible, what are they going to hear you say? Keep doing the thing that you don't like to do. So they need to do it with you. So invite them in to an experience with you in that way. Uh, Pray with them. I mean, actually, I I had a friend. Uh, it was, it was, it was, it's become a friend, but before he was, um, he came to me and he said, I don't have any friends, and I'd like to have some friends. I said, all right, well, do you think God can give you friends? Yes. But you don't feel like he has? No. I said, well, let's, let's just ask him to give you a friend. And I'm going to ask him to give you a friend within two weeks. How does that sound? Yeah, but it won't happen. I said, it's not up to you. <laughs> Would you like to try that? You know, a two-year-old asks for the moon, right? I'd like to have a swimming pool. I'd like to have an underwater, you know, dolphin. I'd like to have a gorilla that, you know, treats me really nice. Thank you so much. I'm going to just ask for all kinds of crazy things. So I prayed with him and I said, Lord, would you please within two weeks give, give this young man a friend? He gave him a friend within a week. And that friend is still his friend 15 years later. I can't explain it. I just know it happens. You have your father's ear. You do. And so just say, I'm just going to ask for this, and let's just see what happens. And if, for whatever reason, it doesn't happen within two weeks, I promise you I'm still going to ask him, because I'm going to be that pesky little person that's knocking at the door. Remember the, that person, you know, that widowed lady that's knocking on that judge's door. And really, all that is is an, an example of God loves you so much that um, your ability to interact with him is really, really important from a a persistent standpoint. So, Number two, come to grips with a compromising issue of your own. Now, this is where I want to meddle with you. There are areas in your life that you will have to continue to grow in. You make peace with them and they will stall you. They will stall you. 
God intends to be the Lord of every area of your life. You hold one thing back, one attitude back, one, one behavior back, one unforgiveness back. Um, have some secret little thing that you just do on the side that you know that you should not be doing. It will eventually grow and stall you. It just, it will. Sin does that. It's like a weed. It just replicates. And when left alone, it's kind of like clover that just grows all over your yard. And pretty soon that's all you have is clover. It's beautiful clover, but it's not grass. You have beautiful problems, but it's not righteousness. And it's like all over. And everybody begins to see it. And you're like, oh, don't, don't look at that over there. But it just is so invasive. That's what sin is. And so what I want to suggest to you is that if you know that there is something in your life that you want to um, deal with, that you're just going to have to continually work on that. So for me, don't, don't talk a lot about getting older. I do plan on getting older than I am right now. Um, and I have decided that unless the Lord really makes me perfect, which he has not done yet, that there are going to be certain things that I will deal with in my life. And one of those is I have by nature a critical spirit. It just is. I mean, I'm, I'm analyzing things and I am judging things. It's just within my nature. And I caught myself talking to somebody the other day, calling somebody else an idiot behind their back. And I started to say, yeah, that's just it. And then I stopped. And I went, Lord, I'm just going to say I'm sorry. And I don't need to be saying that. There is something in me. So here's my question. What's in you? What's in you? Can you be honest about what's in you? When I get tired, I get more judgmental. And I get a little mouthy. And if I'm in pain, I get a little more judgmental and a little mouthy. Do you know any... You know, 75-year-old person that acts like a 15-year-old and absolutely loves their lives and runs around and leaps from place to place. I know a lot of people have a little bit of pain or more, kind of tired, and sometimes are a little grumpy. So I'm looking at that going, what can I do now to make sure that I have love and self-control? And the fruit of the Spirit as I age, because I, I have to be honest with you, I think that old people who have lived with the Lord can be some of the most magnificent people on the planet and we don't give them credit. I want to be one of those people. I don't want to be a person that stopped. I want to be one of those people. They're not, they don't have perfect lives. They don't have perfect bodies. They don't have perfect stories. But what they have is a perfect Savior who has allowed for them to be amazing. And I know some of those people. And I'm like, okay, how did you get to be that way? Well, number one is... I just repent of all the things all the time that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. And so what I'm looking at now is I'm looking at that part going, what's going to hinder me from being an amazing older person? And I think about it that way. I would just like to be a person that people like to be around that's older. And not somebody who goes, oh no, Peter Buckland showed up, run and hide. <laughs> you know, grandpa's here, quick, live by all of his rules. You know, it's just like, I've been around people like that, grew up in a family like that. I, I don't know how God is going to be graceful to us as we age. But you all know we want to be more like Jesus. So that's my thing here. What are we going to be like with that? Um, then we got these, these other things that go down. I want to say, um, join a small group. Uh, what I want to say is you've got to be self-disclosing somewhere. And I know that small group is a church program, but um, I have some small group experiences without a church program. 
you know, people that I regularly hang with, we have spiritual conversations, we meet for breakfast, those kinds of things. So my question for you is, do you have that either in a church program or do you have it on your own? You've got to be around people who love you and are crazy about you and that you can talk to openly and honestly. Uh, I have a friend that I meet with um, who said, I, I work in a Christian organization. I go to a Christian church, but I have no significant conversations with Christian people. Can I please join with you and the person that you are with? I and mean, we, we sat uh, for breakfast every Friday morning at Bradbury Bishop when it was there. And he would drive by and he would see us in the window every Friday morning. And he had enough courage because he knew the other person, not me, and said, I would really like to be a part of that, whatever that is. I would like that. So about four or five months later, I, I acquiesced and I said yes. Because it was me that was stubborn. It's like, I don't want to give up something really good for somebody I don't even know, if I can be honest with you. That's me. Why do I want to let you into something really good? Come on, this could ruin it. I don't know you. So we have been meeting for over 10 years. And this is what he said. You have helped me be a better husband, a better father, a better Christian professional. And we didn't set out to do any of that. Here you had a person who just needed to hang out with a group of people on a regular basis to eat food that sometimes was too hot, too cold, too something, and talk about real life for about an hour in the morning, once a week. We do it year-round. That's all he needed. And I'm flabbergasted. Here's what I want you to know. You've got to have that experience. That's what a small group is on on a non-church program. So I want to suggest to you that you build those relationships because I'm a better person for it, because I invite him into our life um, from a standpoint of what he has to offer. But he has said, you have really helped me just do a better job. He's got a blended family. He didn't always know what to do. And he would say, my wife tells me that I need to come tell on myself. And so we laugh and we said, well, you probably do. What did you do this week? And then he would tell us what he did. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing that you're meeting with us. Here's what you do now. And we'd send him back. And we, we just kind of, we, we all laughed like that. I mean, you get, get a sense about that. It's, it's kind of playful. It's, it is serious. But it's like, yeah, you know, we want to we do and. We're just like a little band of brothers that just can talk about those kinds of things. And it's just really, really positive. And you've got to have it. Don't, don't be isolated. Um, and it's very similar to seven, sharing struggles with a friend. Um, and then I want to say number ten, inspired by another. Who inspires you? Just want you to think about that. Who inspires you? You know, you've got authors. You've got podcasts. You have sermons. You have friends. You have stories. Who inspires you? Psalm 78 is about remembering how God took care of the nation of Israel and how God inspires us by his care. Read read Psalm 78. The entire psalm is about how God provided for the nation of Israel and saved it from Egypt. Remember. Remember the stories. My wife inspires me. She inspires me. And so I remember that, and I go, okay, when I'm, when I'm kind of like, what do I do next, or how am I feeling about this, I just remember where, where we have come from, and how Vanna has never had one bad day, emotionally or spiritually, from being hit by a car. Not one bad day. I think that's just miraculous. She's cried, but she hasn't had one bad day 
emotionally or spiritually. I'm glad I wasn't hit by a car. <laughs> because I probably would have had bad day. I don't know. Maybe God would have just come in and done something amazing. But my wife inspires me. Because I live with a walking miracle every day. And, and I mean that truly in lots of different ways. It's like, how, how can you even do this? And I watched her when she worked through forgiveness for the guy that hit her. I mean, it was, I was up close and personal and, and walked her through all of that. And when she looked at him and said, I forgive you, and he dropped his eyes and started tearing up. It was one of those sacred moments. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And then never take that back. I told her, you say those words, you can never take it back. So don't say them until you can. She never took them back. And I just said, when you're ready to, you can say them. And she did. And it just blew them away. And she's never taken them back. And I've said, do you ever feel angry about it? No, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. You know people that have had things happen to them and they like are magnificent. And you look at them and go, how? And then this is what I think. I hope that if I'm ever in that situation, God will do the same thing for me. Because that's what he does. Who inspires you? Remember them. Remember the story of God in their life. Listen to them. When you're discouraged... Listen to that story because God is doing the same kind of work in you. And when you need Him, He's going to show up. He's going to show up in a really big way. And then we talked about getting yourself out. Um, and this is really important. Just I'm not going to go through all of these. But here's what I want to say about this. The number one issue I think that you and I have is we get in the way. We get in the way of God because idolatry, self-love, pridefulness is really the big result of what happened in the fall. Is that we separate ourselves. I mean, there's something in us that separates us from God. Even as Christians, we sometimes struggle with this. Is that we just have a hard time trusting. We have a hard time seeing our way through something. And so... This idea of removing self and allowing for God to do big works in your life, this will, this will be a part of your story for as long as you live. So here's what I want you to, to consider doing. When somebody comes up to you and they say, I really admire this about you, I would like for you to just simply say thank you. Thank you. God has been really good to me. Thank you. Recognize that they are meaning to say to you, I see something in you that I admire. Or you inspire me. And I just, just look at them and say, thank you. God has been really good to me. And I am praying that he is good to you. And just let it go. Because people want to recognize that kind of growth. And so when you're looking at self-removal, and, and you're being successful, and people say, man, you stood in that Walmart aisle line really well, and that lady says to you, you are really patient, just look at her and say, thank you. When you're driving along and somebody says, you know, you're just a really patient driver. And on the inside, you're all churned up and you just, have, you just know self-control is what's keeping your mouth closed. You just look at them and say, thank you. Because your model is what you want to display even if your heart is still struggling. And what you're doing is that you're growing and you're developing and you're demonstrating those Christ-like character fruits. And so this idea of removing self out of your life is just going to be a lifelong struggle. So we've got all that stuff for you to look at. Transformation. A couple more things, and I'm going to let you guys talk in your tables about some things that you've learned that you want to take from this. 
I put over on the left-hand side the core. This is what I would like for you to memorize. And I do mean memorize. It's only a few little verses. Um, I'd like for you to memorize what these verses mean. So I've listed them out here for you so that you can take a look at them. Um, so Romans 8.29 is the absolute goal that God wants for you, which is to conform you to the image of Jesus. And he is constantly doing that. So when you don't know what else to do and you've had something happen to you, say, Lord, how are you going to create the image of Jesus in me? I don't understand what's going on. I don't like what's going on. I am, th- this is tragic for me. But allow for the image of Jesus to rise inside of me in some way. And I, I look at you know, his torture and the dignity, dignity by which he managed all of that. And I, and I admire that. And sometimes when people are speaking poorly about me or I'm having a rough day, or I don't like something that's happening in the country, I ask myself, how do I handle this with dignity? How do I handle it? Jesus handled it with dignity. He didn't stoop low. He didn't abuse anybody. He handled things with dignity. He did everything right. And I look at that and go, that's what I want. How is the image of Jesus going to grow in you? Because this is what God is doing in every circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 is that he has the ability with power. This is that dynamite picture that we went through. Is that I simply ask him, give me real power. Give me real power today. Real power to choose well. Real power to direct my mind. Real power to have wisdom. Just, just show up in my life today and help me move through this. Van has said to me a couple times, how do you do it? And, you know, I get kind of smart with her. And I say, well, I'm a guy and, you know, I, I wasn't hit by a car. The truth of the matter is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. That's how we make it through. How does my wife get through her day? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 real power. God picks us up and he gives us what we need to be his children for that day. He doesn't often give us extra. He gives us what we need. So I do want you to know that he has real power for you. Uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is the renewed mind. Is that God wants you to think differently. And so I do pray that I can get myself out of my head and I can get scripture in my head. So one of the reasons to do the Lectio, one of the reasons to memorize Scripture is that as you are focusing on Scripture, your mind is changing. And so the more you meditate, the more you memorize, the more that you let Scripture rumble in your mind, the more you actually behave consistently with Scripture. But you quit and you go back to your old self. This is not permanent. It's daily. So I want you to know that if you do really, really well for a week or two, and you find that, hey, things are going really well, and then you get distracted for two weeks, at the end of that two weeks, you might be back to doing some of the things that you were doing before. Impatient, critically minded, and you're like, wow, what happened to me? Well, what happened to you was that the Word of God is designed to be used as nutrition. It's not designed to be stored up and saved. And so it's used. So if you don't take it in, then you don't actually have it to use it. It's just something about... It doesn't hold. It just doesn't hold in our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 8, 12 through 13 is your partner with the Holy Spirit. That you put to death the despicable deeds of the body is the actual Greek uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that God will help you in the moment that you need him to. And then you set your mind and then you want to start and stop things. You just want to force some things and God meets you in the middle of that decision. There is a cognitive choice. Keep your mouth closed. 
and I actually do that when I drive. Keep your mouth closed. It's just way too easy to be mouthy behind a wheel. And so I try to listen to something else, and I'll just like say, just drive quietly. <laughs> Don't practice what comes naturally in the flesh. Practice a spiritual approach. When, when I get news that I don't like, I don't <sighs> roll my eyes. Practice empathy for the person who you're hearing the news about. Practice empathy. There's got to be pain. There's got to be hurt. There's got to be woundedness in, in the middle of all of that. This person is created in God's image and obviously is acting in ways that are acting out that pain. We've talked a little bit about that in here. How do you treat people who are living opposite of the way God wants? Well, you don't treat them by beating them up. You treat them by loving them and have empathy, knowing you've got to have those boundaries. So set your mind on that and stop and start. So these are the elements I would love for you to maybe do a Lectio Divina study on. What does this mean for you so that you can grow in those ways? Just a couple more things. Your testimony is a first-hand account of God. I loved that, so I put it on there. We hadn't talked about it quite in that way. You are a representation of what God can do with a regular person, because we're all regular. You are a living representation of what God can do with a regular person. That is what is so amazing about your testimony. No one can take it away from you, and you get to live it out. And so you want to share that. And then we talked here, this last one, about your spiritual practices are not a solution for all difficulties. And I I need to remind you of that. If you do the Lectio, if you pray, if you move forward, you will still have hardship in your life. Vanna got hit by a car. Job's kids got, got killed. My kids were sick. Two of them were hospitalized growing up. People lose their jobs. Hardship still happens. So what I want you to know when you look at this, they connect us with Jesus who is with us through these struggles. You are not promised to be struggle-free. In fact, I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons that you are not struggle-free is that you would not be able to connect with other people if you were. Because almost everybody I know has something in their life they don't like or they've had a rough experience that's been hard on them, including us. And what you see is the faithfulness of God in the midst of that struggle. God is greater than that struggle. God redeems through that struggle. God gives you your life back. Joel chapter 2, verse 25 is one of my favorite verses. Joel 2, 25. In this, um, Joel wrote... God will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. God will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. This is a judgment passage. It's given to the nation of Israel right before they're sent to Babylon. And he says, I will repay for the years that the locusts have eaten. My great locusts that I sent to you. The locust was Babylon. You've all seen what locusts do. They eat everything. Babylon destroyed everything. But here's what God said is that even though you are under judgment, and so I I give this to people, and I do yank it out of context. You just need to know this. I give this to people who are incarcerated. I give this to people who have done something wrong, um, and, and they've like lost their job or something. I've also given it for anybody who feels like their life has been eaten up 
eaten up by somebody else's foolishness, eaten up by uh, something that's been done to them, um, eaten up even by their own folly, you know, where they've just gone off and they've done something or been addicted to something and they feel like there's just nothing left in their lives. Joel chapter 2 verse 25 talks about the magnificence of God in his heart and he says this, When you come back to me, I will give you your life back with interest. With interest. Now, we do live within the consequences of what has happened to us. But God is able to move us beyond all of that in some way. And allows for us to live more aligned with what he originally intended us to have. I don't know how he does that. But I get to watch it all the time. It's one of the reasons I'm a Christian. Is this last little part. When you have done everything that you know how to do. You stand. Because when you stand, God pays you back with interest. (laughs) He recognizes your righteousness. He recognizes your effort. He recognizes your energy. And what he says is, I see you. One of my favorite lines. um, That is um, the movie. Where they have the, the body that they go into. Uh, the green, tall person. was that? No, not that one. Avatar. That's good. Avatar, thank you. Yeah, Avatar, thank you. I just lost it. Yeah, as Avatar is when they look at each other and they say, I see you. And what that means is, I see through who you are to the essence of, of what you're made out of. And that's what God is saying is, I see you. I see who you are. I see what you're made out of. I know that this hurts. I'm seeing beyond some of these situations. And I can see right into you. And I want you to know that I will repay you back. Because you love and you care about me. This is why people thrive under tribulation and persecution. This is why the church grows on the blood of the martyrs. God is paying them back in some amazing way. Doing what he did for Vanna. That is just incredible in very difficult situations. So, when you're looking at this, when you do everything you know how to do, you still stand. Because God is giving you back things that you don't recognize right at that time. So, you connect with Jesus through that struggle. Here's what I'd like for you to do. It is like 8.35. I'd like for you to talk in your groups about something that you want to take from this class. Um, and just Well, let me just, sorry, before we do that, self-reflection. I want you to just turn to the back page. Personal growth plan. Personal growth plan. Just look at the last page. What I'd like for you to do on your own is just kind of work through this. And I, and I just wrote everything out. Just do whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, do what's meaningful. And then what I want you to do is list out your strengths. Then list out the areas of growth. Those are the ones that are, are the areas that you yourself said I'm not doing as, as good. And then just pick three to five things that you want to improve. If you want to improve your connection with Christ, if you want to improve your service, if you want to improve your testimony, if you want to improve your uh, biblical connection with God, uh, if you want to improve being involved in a small group, I I don't know, whatever it is, and you want to improve that, write that down. And then um, often we talk about um, goals as smart goals, which are specific goals, measurable goals, actionable goals, goals that you can actually work on realistic goals um, and time time oriented goals and what I'd like for you to do is share um, these three to five things with somebody who knows and loves you to say this is really what I want to do within this time period 
I want to get into a small group by this fall. I want to have the Lectio Divina, and I'd like to do that three out of seven days. And I want to track that. I want to have a volunteer service experience every month that is meaningful to me, if you don't have that. I want to, I want to um, be more self-revealing and tell on myself to my friends so that they know how I'm actually doing. I mean, when you're looking at this, I'd love for you to just decide on three to five goals. Here's what we found, and the reason I picked three to five is five to seven goals are the maximum that researchers have said people can really work on at one time. Any more than that, and you just start dropping them. So because I'm a guy and I'm simple, I think three is plenty. (laughs) Because we're talking about changing behavior. And it means that you're going to have a lot of practice, and you're going to start, and then you're going to forget. And when you start and you forget, you just start again. That's what I want. Instead of kicking yourself, you just start again. I'm expecting you to forget. I'm expecting you to say, I have the best of intentions in the world, and in another month, if you don't do something like this, I promise you, you will have done zero. You can go through this class, and in one month's time, your life cannot change. It could just be the same, unless you decide that there is something that you would really like to add. So I'm looking at just adding something. Maybe you want to stop something, uh, which is great. On the, on the back side, you want to write out your goals and then share your, your goals with a friend or a mentor, somebody that will just stay with you through this journey so that you can move forward. Um, I want you to know that the significant changes that I made in my life as a parent were made through SMART goals. And they were made one goal at a time. Don't yell at your kids. Eight months. One goal at a time. Learn how to interact with my emotional son. One goal at a time. That one was really frustrating. Because I'm like, we speak entirely different languages. And I need to figure that one out. One goal at a time. That one took probably six or seven months. Just to do that one thing to where I felt like I could do it better. I'm learning how to do the three strikes and we're having a conversation. Which I, This is not marriage class, but I do three strikes and we have a conversation. That means that Vanna or my kids can be off and sound critical or be snipey and I don't respond to it. I just go, oh, snipe. One. Strike one. If it happens again in the same day, strike two. If it happens within the next 24 hours, strike three. I'm not angry. I mean, I could be impatient because I don't really like it. But what I've noticed is you're heading in a direction that we're going to have problems. (laughs) And so I'll just say, hey, do you notice that we're getting off track here? Do you notice that we're not quite connecting? Do you notice that there's, that uh, with Vanna sometimes I say, do you you notice that we're kind of heading for a fuss? Every single time I said that with my kids or Vanna, the answer was no, I didn't notice it. You know why? Because the person who's getting off doesn't notice that they're off. I don't notice when I'm off because I'm pretty darn near perfect all the time, right? (laughs) You are too. Because we make excuses for ourselves. Well, I'm just tired or I'm just whatever. So we don't really notice that we're off. And so what this is, is I really want to catch this before something happens. And I started practicing three strikes and we're having a conversation. That took about eight months. There's like an eight-month window. I'm a slow changer. I I put into effect in our family, you can have a bad day and not be punished. That was a six- to eight-month new rule. So I didn't react. I just said, hey, it looks like you're kind of having a bad day. 
you want to talk to me about that? Blah, 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 blah. Yes, you are having a bad day. <laughs> it's okay to have a bad day in our family. You can't have two, but you can have one. Because everybody should have a bad day and be loved through that bad day. Doesn't that sound wonderful to you? Where you could just be off and people wouldn't pick on you because you were off? Well, we actually put that as a family value. And it took a while to get the hang of that. Nobody ever took advantage of it because, you know, good old pops had the disciplinary ability if I wanted to. So if I felt like you were taking advantage of it, it was like lower the boom and, you know, but, but everybody has a time that they're off where you can just have a rough day. And it's okay. Go to bed early that night. And um, you can be better in the morning. So we started that. But here's what I want you to know. All of the significant changes that I made, I really only made them one at a time. So I'm thinking three to five. If it's really significant, it only might be one. I just want to encourage you with that. You can do it. You can do it. But you have to set it out and you have to be accountable for it. So what I'd like for you to do is just spend some time in your groups talking about um, what do you want to take from this class. I'll give you about, oh, 12-ish, 13-ish minutes or so for that, and then we'll close with a word of prayer. Just kind of chat about ideas or thoughts that you might have, and I'm just going to harass you and walk around. We're going to go ahead and close now. So uh, let me close with a word of prayer. Thank you for coming and um, letting me uh, lead you through some of these things. Again, if there is uh, something that you really liked and you haven't let me know uh, that you think is really valuable, please do that at some point. Uh, Scott Ensminger has asked me to consider teaching this in a six-week class for people who are coming out of Discovering Christ Church. So these are people that maybe are not as connected, and we thought, well, if we could do a discipleship class for them, that would be kind of short, that uh, we could offer the Discovering Christ Church um, opportunity periodically throughout the year and then just say to people, hey, if you'd really like to get started with something like this, we could maybe talk to you about um, discipleship in a more personalized way and do that in a shorter class time. So gotten some great ideas from some of you about what you liked. Uh, it's more likely I will probably start with those things. If you liked them, then just kind of picking and choosing. So if there is something, feel free to let me know because um, I'd be more than happy to have you point me into some emphases that were meaningful for you. So let me close with a word of prayer and we'll be done. Lord, thank you for being in this family that you have taken us from around the country And you have brought us here. And you have let us be family. Uh, Laugh, have friendships, get to know each other. Uh, Really have a sense about what does it mean to be a part of your great kingdom and your family. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave and move on into our own spiritual practices away from this experience, that you would just help for us to keep talking about it, uh, connecting with people here in the class when we see each other, And also, Lord, be able to move closer to you over time. Help us to live with faith, alive and well in our hearts, that other people would see you because we live close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christchurch in general, visit us online at cco.church.